0: The Red Book comes in handy quite often, and you heard some of the uh, fruits of that here this morning. I didn't give all those details to Alvin about our family, but he had it right on. So thank you for that. Um, and it's, it's true that um, my passion is certainly marriage and the, and the home, but I'm not sure if it would have went there without a little bit of a nudge from your bishop here, he contacted me about a week ago, texted me, asked me if I would consider preaching. He said, I heard you had meetings at Peckway uh, recently and that uh, you talked in the home and he said, I, I, would, I think it would be great to hear something from that. So um, that was kind of at his nudging and it was a little difficult to know if I should do that and which one I should preach. So I'll just give it to you, give the whole thing to you if that's all right. You have all afternoon? No, I won't do that, but we'll get into that in a minute. There was, I, I'm sorry, I can't come to Mind Road without memories coming back, and maybe that's a sign of me getting older. But um, I was sitting here this morning, and as we sang Victory in Jesus, my mind went to um, 34 years ago, about 34 years ago, when our youth group here was still with Weavertown. And we sang Victory in Jesus as part of one of our programs. I think it may have been a Christmas program. you remember that, Jason? Or Rose? Or any of you that were there? Um, and every time I sing that song to this day, I think of that. Um, a couple other things that I wanted to mention. I, I don't see Mal Stolz here. It's, he's not here this morning, is he? Do you ever see him here anymore? Okay. He <laughs> seems to be chasing something. Uh, but I did want to mention, um, that was another memory that came to my mind, in, in um, 2018, January 2018, I was at Calvary Bible School to teach second term, and he was there. It was my first year being there, and Mel was there. I think I've mentioned this to you all before, but he was a, a great mentor and, and, and a help to those of us that were new that year. There were several of us with new teachers, enjoyed that a lot. But while he was there, he had a wife at home that wasn't doing so well. Mary Ellen was struggling with her sickness that she had back then already and maybe possibly a while before that. Um, but uh, she had been doing fairly well, and so he decided to go. And I remember while he was there, uh, she was having some, some problems again, and he was a bit distracted, of course, uh, while he was there. Never forgot that. And then uh, I was back several times since, and again, this past January was there, and Mel was there again, and we had such a good time. At least I did. I think he did, too. Um, but uh, I couldn't help but pick on him. He's one of those that, that um, well, sometimes you think he's got it all together, but you see that mischievous smile and, and the twinkle in his eyes, and you know there's some... some uh, things going on there in the background that you might not notice right away. But uh, we had a good time there. It was a real blessing. So the the title of the message this morning is Foundation Stones of a Godly Home. And if I was preaching a series of of messages, uh, this would probably be the introductory one. It was the first one at Peckway. And it's a bit of, maybe a bit of an overview of of what I would preach if I were preaching a series, but um, there's there's four foundation stones that I'm going to preach about, and you may think of a few others. I'm sure if one of your ministers gave this, it would have a little different way of approaching it, Uh, but this is mine. And first of all, this morning, why does a godly home matter so much? And you may respond to that. I would love to hear, why does it matter that we have a godly home? It's the way Jesus wants us to go. go. Yeah. What else? Minds are formed in the home. That's correct. Exactly. Civilizations grow or fall based on the home. And I have a statement, I think, a little later that, that would agree with that 100%. Security for, our children. Security for our children. Amen. I have four things written down, uh, taken from the Bible. A godly home is God's plan for replenishing the earth, from Genesis one twenty-eight. Uh, I am going to read that, and I'm going to have to be careful on my time here because uh, I have more than what fits real well into the time we have. Genesis 128 says, God blessed them, and he, God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth." And I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but God works mainly with multiplication. Uh, sometimes he adds. But if you think about uh, put a seed in the ground, you get many times more seeds from the fruit of, the, of that than, than the, the seed that you put in the ground and so forth. And um, he wants us to replenish and fill the earth. He loves fruitfulness. Second one, a godly home is God's plan for raising up a godly seed, and that comes from Malachi 2. Just read a verse there, maybe. Um, I think I'll deal. With the, yeah, um, just read verse fifteen. Did not He make one? Yet had He the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one that He might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. The context here is, is um, a man staying with his wife and being faithful to her because it's, that is a seedbed for a godly generation. Uh, another one, a godly home is God's plan for showing the world his love for the church. Ephesians 5, look at that a little bit later. And another one is a godly home is a place of warmth, security, love, and blessing. Just like was mentioned here, it's in effect a greenhouse, a safe, warm place for children to grow up in. And um, so there's, there's going to be four foundation stones I want to look at. I'm, I'm calling them foundation stones. Um, let's see if this works here. Doesn't work too well. But let's just pretend these are stones, okay? Um, it's a little faint. But I want to look at four stones that, that will give a foundation upon which to build a godly home. Four things that will make a big difference in a godly home doing well and being, uh, being a healthy place. And, and the first one, I think I'm going to give them one at a time uh, as we go. The first one is that the Lord must be the master builder. He needs to be the architect, the one that is designing it. Well, he he already has designed the home, but he really wants to design your home, and he wants to be the master builder of your home. And uh, that comes from Psalm 127, which is already read. And the very first verse there, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Read in, um, I believe it's a Good News translation, it says, If the Lord does not build the house, the work of the builders is useless. If the Lord does not protect the city, it does no good for the sentries to stand guard. This verse makes me think about the age in which we live in, where it's become... A big deal to try to see that we get uh, the correct political parties in place so that we can have a good life. But the fact is that God is the one who ultimately takes care of those things. And when it comes to the home, we can work, we can struggle, we can battle, we can cry, we can pray. Well, Praying is what we're actually talking about here. But there's a lot of things we can do that aren't really going to work unless we have God as the master builder. The rest of that verse uh, in the good news says, It is useless to work so hard for a living, getting up early and going to bed late, for the Lord provides for those he loves while they are asleep. Did you know that God can fix your problems while you're sleeping? So, so rest. Why would you lay awake worrying about your problems when God can take care of them while you're sleeping? Okay, I know. It's still real, right? So I, I get that. Uh, but, but I think this is very, very true, and I, I believe we need to hang on to this idea here that That it's not all up to us. In fact, the greatest need of children is not perfect parents. It's not all up to you. We as idealistic young fathers sometimes think that is the case. The greatest need is not the perfect teaching program. The greatest need is not a perfect church, either, by the way, or a perfect youth group. And I found this quote just recently. This fascinated me because I've observed a little bit of this dynamic in our own home. For every child whose faith thrives in a certain environment, another one will suffer in it. So if you have your home just right for your two oldest children, guess what? The third or fourth one comes along. And if you do exactly the same thing with every one, it doesn't always work too well. If you had more than two children, for sure, you've found a little bit of this happening in your home. And I thought that was fascinating. Here's another quote. This is part of... Part of more, oh, thank you, part of a a longer quote that I found, but I'm just reading the last part. I'm going to put this. Lord is the master builder. Today, more than any other generation, parents are worried sick that they will mess up their children's lives. A massive 2006 study revealed that parents post significantly higher rates of depression than adults without children. And there was a book written uh, that's, that's uh, captured this na- national obsession with successful parenting and its overwrought attempts to secure happiness and success. I don't know anything about the book, so I'm not even going to mention the name. But... Um, Uh, there was a book written where it it talked about that, it studied that, and and they they saw the obsession we have with with, um, being sure that we as parents do everything just right. Now, I wouldn't be talking, I wouldn't talk about the home if I would think it doesn't matter what we do. So that's not my point. But the point is that we, without God, will not get it right. In fact, we with Him... There's, still, there's going to be some things that we, we notice that, that t- don't turn out like we wish sometimes. The Bible never suggests that our children need perfect parents. Have you ever noticed that Eli, the priest, and Samuel, the prophet, didn't have very good success with their boys? Did you ever think about it that With Jacob and Jacob's home, it was pretty much dysfunctional. And out of that came Joseph, a man of character and godliness like none other. So while you should be doing what you can, it's not all up to you. Someone said it like this, the best way to protect your child from the sin of this world is to pray over him or her every day. Please, do the practical things that are needed. Teach and train your children, but pray. And I'm sure you are. But really, it's not always up to us. A second foundation stone of a godly home is probably can't read this from the back. I don't know. But man and woman's roles, the the, the roles of a man and woman must be clearly defined. Did you know that a man and a woman have different roles? Yeah, you know that. Don't get confused by what you hear around you these days. And I like what Stu Weber says in the book Tender Warrior. It's a book about godly men. He says that we as men are to be a tender warrior. I know I had a message on fatherhood here a number of years ago, and I may have mentioned that, that I'm not sure. but um, So I like to call the man a tender warrior and the woman a suitable helper. That's the, the, the uh, phrase that some Bible versions use. And so your role as men is to be a tender warrior. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but... Basically, the idea is that we as men have been called to be warriors, not to kill people, but to tackle big problems and make things happen. And to be a warrior that protects our families, our wife and our children and our church and whatever we have been given responsibility for. But we are to be tender as were that warrior. I, I love the, the balance that brings. And, and yeah, there's a tension there. How can you be tender and be a warrior? But um, it reminds me of something that I heard a, a Navy SEAL say one time. Um, he said that the greatest characteristic of a SEAL commander or any military commander is, you want to guess what it was? Lead well. Lead. Leading well. That's right. But how do we lead well? It's a word that's usually associated with Christian character. Want to make any guesses? Example. example yeah, this would be how you'd be an example. The there you go. Now, how does that fit a SEAL commander or a military commander? It's not typically the characteristic we first think of, is it? They're usually proud men. They're proud of what they're doing and, and they're strong and, and, and so for They're fighters. So we need to be tender. We need to be humble. I'm going to go back to Genesis 2 just for a minute here. Verse 18, after Adam was created, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And then it goes on to describe uh, the animals and him naming them. Let's go to Ephesians 5 for a bit, and you can turn to that with me if you'd care to. I'll be there for a bit. <clears throat> the way I see it, as the more I've studied marriage and the home and tried to figure out what really happened? God created that ideal marriage there in the garden, or back at the beginning of time, put them in the garden. And I think we would all agree that it was, it was well done. It was, it was perfect at that time. Um, and then you look at the next number of chapters in Genesis, and very soon we see marriage taking on a completely different form. It was anything but a close-knit oneness. It was multiple wives. It was, it was all kinds of interesting family dynamics that God never intended. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see all kinds of dysfunction. And the home became a mess. And even God's people. But I think when Jesus came... He his his call to us was to was to to bring marriage back to the ideal it was first intended. It will never be perfect this side of heaven. We all know that. But he's he's taking it back to the beginning and he he tells the people around him that um, especially the the Jewish hypocrites, leaders as they challenged him on things, and he talked about divorce and remarriage and all that, and he said. He said, yes, you know, I've allowed this, this divorce, this remarriage and all that because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so. And he says, when you marry a wife, you're joined together for life. He, he brought it back to that original plan. And Ephesians 5, I believe, paints a picture of that. And obviously, this the last, uh, well, 22 to 33, there's kind of a switching back and forth between this picture of Jesus and the church and a, a husband and wife. <clears throat> in verse 22 to 24, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And so, so here's this picture of of the man and woman's roles, the woman is to be a a um, she's to be a ma- under the man in role, and to be submitting to the man. And the man is to to love his wife. And we get more of a picture of that as you go down further, um, where it, it talks about this more. Um, this and this call for for women to come under their husband is not the idea of them becoming a doormat, something to tramp on or to boss around. Or, or they're, not a, they're not a servant or a slave in that sense at all. But it's an opportunity that God gives a woman to come under the direction and the protection of a man. We do it imperfectly. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. You're well aware of that. And you as men are well aware of that as well. That you do that imperfectly. But when we do it the best that we can, it can become a blessed situation and, a, and, a, and a, just a, a real blessed experience. A wife who refuses to come under that protection because of the imperfections of her husband or whatever the struggle might be is missing out on a huge blessing to come under protection, to come under the blessing of God. Um, being under his order and for you as men we, we talked a bit earlier about being a warrior a protector and this protection that you're to offer to your wife and your family especially thinking of the wife in this context it's 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 all three of the dimensions that we talk about in relationship it's To be a spiritual protector, an emotional protector, and a physical protector. There's to be a closeness in all three of those dimensions. And when there is closeness spiritually, emotionally, and physically, your wife will be a radiant woman. Vast majority of the cases. The question is, men, are you up to the job? And, and whenever I talk about this subject, I'm always really hard on the men. And often the ladies, at some point there's a comment and they say, Wow, you're so hard on the men. When are you going to you know, give us the load? Well, I do the best I can. But honestly, the biggest part of the load goes over here. That's how the Bible, that's what the Bible does. And um, that is the first part in this whole thing. Stu Weber says men are to be a king a warrior a mentor and a friend and he also said that men stand tallest when they are protecting you as men and boys here understand if maybe you're uh, Well, let's see what would be an example we don't we don't fight in the military but there's um there's a lot of ways we can protect. Even, even going out into the woods and hunting a deer kind of feeds on this, this thing that God has given us of conquering. And part of that, especially at one time, was protecting families from wild animals. We don't really deal with that so much, at least not here in this country or not this part of the country. But um, we as men... When, when we are protecting as we should, when we are being a protector, when we're given an opportunity to protect people, especially women, the women in our lives, that is when in our chest rises up this <clears throat> this warrior. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yes. I don't think there's a question, almost without question, all of you would in an instant give your life for your wife or your, or your children. Because you are called to be a protector. And surprise, surprise, when we do what God has called us to do, that is when we're most fulfilled. Another foundation stone that I believe is important is that for we as married people, and especially men, our marriage should be our first ministry. Now, I don't even want to get into this thing of trying to, like, say that it's God, and then it's this, and then it's that, and the other thing. I I understand that, that you can't really quite... You know, you take home and you take your ministry here if you're a minister and and you take other callings that you have and you try to rate them in a certain order and uh, that can get a little sticky and we all have different opinions about how to do that. But please understand what I am saying here. There are young men and I know one particular situation where this young man Made it clear to his wife that his job was number one. It was clear from the beginning. Men, your job and your calling does not come before your wife. Now, yes, there are sacrifices. Yes, there's things we do when we leave our wife and our family at home and we go take care of things and ministry opportunities and so forth. I don't mean that we never do those things. But, but they, while we're doing those things, they're still number one. Again, please uh, understand what I'm saying. I don't mean they're before God. Just a little bit of, of our story, a uh, very short version of it here. A number of years ago, I realized from things my wife was saying that she didn't feel like she was number one to me. And surprise, surprise, as a man, I didn't know that. I hadn't caught on. I'm sorry to tell you, man, but we don't catch on to things very quick sometimes when it comes to relationships. We're pretty slow to get it. And um, the end of 2014, I became aware enough of this that I decided that I'm going to do some intentional things to try to turn this around. And I wrote down some things that I was going to start doing. Because this problem, this, this, this thing that wasn't quite right, caused conflict in our home. Yes, my wife and I had conflict. Most of you do too at times. I just know the law of averages says so. In fact, if you never have had any, you, I don't know how well you know each other. Um, if you never had any conflict, make some. You might get to know each other better. It's not all bad. <laughs> it's not all bad. It really isn't. It's what we do with that. But, but the fact is there was conflict happening It wasn't good. It was not the kind you want to have. And our children were old enough that they were challenging us on this. And there was a, a preacher friend of mine that I met a number of weeks ago. And we were sitting down talking about marriage. And he said one of their children came back from voluntary service at a certain point and He said, their child told them, I don't like how you're relating to each other. Did you remember I said a preacher friend of mine? Sometimes our children help us with those things. At any rate, um, so the the next year, my wife noticed that some things were changing a little bit, but... um, i may have mentioned this before i don't remember what i said where anymore because i've talked about these things a number of times but i may have shared here before probably did um about the the calvary messenger article from a woman who had a heavy heart because she observed so many difficult child father relationships and and that's just a theme that has come up so much already and uh, I was thinking about that an awful lot because I kept hearing it from those that went to Bible school, those who were in our service units and so forth. And um, this woman was writing about that. And so because my wife and I were, were kind of in the middle of this journey about some of these things, she said, you need to, to, to write something in response to this. And, and, and I finally did that at her uh, urging. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to write. So I just started writing, kind of what came to my mind. And as I was writing, I don't know where it came from, but this thought began to form. What if these relationship issues that fathers have with their children actually the root cause is the marriage? And that's what I wrote. And I believe it more today than I did then. Never sacrifice your marriage on the altar of ministry. Yes, I've been a pastor now for 22, 23, over 23 years, I guess. I I understand those dynamics. We have work to do. But I'm not going to sacrifice my marriage on the altar of ministry. I can do well in the ministry and still also have a great relationship with my wife. Back to Ephesians 5 here. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, if that isn't the greatest sacrifice there ever was, uh, well, it is the greatest sacrifice. Jesus gave everything. We, we know that. We talk about that all the time. And that is the same kind of sacrifice. We, we would die for a wife, but we will not sometimes do the little things. Sometimes it's harder to take the trash out or whatever it might be that your wife likes when you do. It's harder to do the honey list than it is to, to give my life for her. But when we do, when we become one, when we hear the heart of our wife and we, be, we, we become a team, truly, truly, Because she is that she's in that place of importance where she should be. Out of that freedom in our spirit will come ministry. Is there a question? Go ahead. I just wanted to state that um, you have to read Okay, so go ahead. Twenty five and twenty six is it kinda of comes together so mm-hmm. Mhm. Mhm. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, one of the things that I noticed is 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 as God began after years began showing me some of the areas where I was blind and where I was not connecting well with my wife, I noticed how it changed something in my spirit. And there truly was a freedom there that I'd never had before. I'd like to read two little stories. There was a visiting minister who gave a message to the congregation. After the minister was finished, a young preacher commented to the older brother, Older preacher, brother Tim preached a good message today. He must be a good man. The older preacher responded, yeah, he preached a good message, but I don't know if he's a good man until I meet his wife. The young preacher had a puzzled look on his face and replied, what do you mean? The older preacher responded again, if her disposition is downtrodden, sad or she is looking down, then he is not a good man. But if she is full of life, smiles well kept and happy then he is a good man because she is the reflection of his glory and another one there was a pastor who had a very successful ministry and other pastors were seeking his advice during a conference the pastor walked on stage and spoke a few words and they were all shocked at his words he said to love and honor your wife is the success of your ministry and he walked off the stage just one more comment before we move on to the last one. Why is Satan so bent on destroying your home? Because whatever God made good and perfect, Satan wants to destroy. Mhm. Whatever God made good and perfect, Satan hates it. And he is absolutely bent on destroying it. Not just messing it up a little, but absolute destruction. And uh, this is back a little bit to what Dwight said earlier. This kind of just uh, backs up that. This comment, without strong, committed, loving marriages in a culture, that culture is simply on a countdown to destruction. When the home and family no longer is important, and when the roles become reversed, and we do things backwards, and we don't keep important what is important, that culture is on its way down. The last um, foundation stone: moral purity. Well, this is obviously a message in itself. Most of these points are. <laughs> so it's going to be, it's gonna have to be short. But this culture we live in in our country, it's a free-for-all. If you want to taste it, you taste it. If you want to do it, you do it. Whatever you want to do is what you do. You get to do. Uh, that's, that's their way of looking at things. Um, and, and I like to talk about moral infidelity uh, just a bit. And th- the actual definition of that is emotional or physical relationship with a woman other than your spouse. And one of the, the facts that we hear a lot these days, I'm sure you've heard this before, something similar. Pornographies and fantasies about other women are prevalent in the church. 50% of men, church-going men, have addictions in this area. Something that they're just enslaved to. And Proverbs 6 and 7 talks in detail about the destructiveness of going after a strange woman. One who is not your spouse. There's a place for repentance and forgiveness and redemption after being in those things. But when we experience Physical or emotional oneness with a person that is not our spouse, it leaves us less than a whole person. Bible verses we could talk about and we don't have time. But one of the things I would like to mention about this, we, we think often that infidelity is just simply you know kind of something that happens in your mind or an act that you commit. But someone gave this definition, and, and, and I think this is more complete. Infidelity is anything that you do, you see, you read, or listen to that you would hide from your spouse. Any secret that, if known, would create a breach of trust in your relationship. And we have a lot of opportunity to see, do, read, and listen to things that are not helpful, things that are destructive. For you as young men, Lord willing, someday you're in a courtship. Your job is to protect that young woman and yourself from these things, from, from moral... In, well, it wouldn't be infidelity in that case so much as, as moral impurity. There's a lot that could be said about that. Remember that until you're married, she could be another man's wife. There was a, a young man that I, I knew as when I was a boy... And uh, I learned to know him, went to school with him. And he struggled with this thing of the girls. After we no longer were in school, I didn't see him for a long time. In my youth group years, I reconnected with him. And uh, one evening, he came to me crying, and he said, The things that I've done morally destroyed a relationship that I was in. Completely destroyed it. He just simply didn't have any self-control in his dating relationship. And it destroyed that relationship. He later dated and married another young lady. Because of his habits from the past, that marriage was on the rocks i think ultimately they found help and i think are doing well to this day but these things are not something to mess with either as married men or as young single men make sure you keep your mind and your heart pure it's time to close let's kneel and pray